0: All right. Uh, well, good morning everyone. Again, I want to welcome you to Citizens, especially if you're new or visiting for the first time. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of serving uh, as the pastor here at the church. Um, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me uh, to book of John, chapter 16, uh, verses 5 to 15. Uh, if you can choose your translation, if you're following along on an app, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT. John chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. This is the reading of God's word. But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you, but in fact it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Amen. Let me say a quick prayer for us uh, before we get started. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. May may every word that is preached uh, be a word from your mouth and your heart. May it resonate deeply within our hearts this morning. We thank you uh, for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, if you're visiting for the first time, uh, last week we launched a new sermon series at our church on the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's the first time we're doing a series like this here at Citizens and... You know, for the past year or so, um, I have felt more and more burdened as a pastor, as I think about uh, the the state of our church, as I think about the current state of our nation, uh, as I talk to members of our community who are dealing with some heavy stuff, uh, as I witness marriages and friendships and families fall apart, Uh, As I think about the world our kids are growing up in, not just with social media, but having to navigate so many complex issues at such a young age, and I don't know about you, but anytime I do, I just sometimes get this overwhelming sense of helplessness. And when I get into those modes, when I get into that headspace, I realize that at the end of the day, um, we need more than another sermon. We need more than another how-to book, another podcast, another church program or fancy initiative. What we need more than anything is the Holy Spirit. We need God himself to intervene. We cannot seek natural solutions to supernatural problems. And so, the purpose of this series is not just for us to acquire more knowledge about the Holy Spirit. The purpose of this series is actually for us to allow allow the Holy Spirit to open ourselves up to His transforming work in our lives, understanding that apart from Him, we can do nothing. There is nothing we can do without the power of the Spirit. And last week, we asked the question who is the Holy Spirit? And we talked about how the Holy Spirit first and foremost is a person, not an energy, not a force we can access whenever we want to to achieve our own goals, but a personal divine being, right? But a person whom we can have, with whom we can have an intimate relationship. We also said the Holy Spirit is God's presence. It's God making his home in us, shaking things up, forcing us to rearrange our furniture and shift things around a bit, right? And finally, we said the Holy Spirit is God's promise, God's guarantee that He will always finish what He starts. Well, today we want to look more specifically at what the Holy Spirit does. How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? How does the Holy Spirit, this third person in the Trinity, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son, transform us from the inside out? And the text we're looking at is from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. You just heard it read. And these are Jesus' final words to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. And the disciples are completely blindsided, okay? Because you have to understand the disciples, they've spent the past three years with Jesus, They've watched him do some incredible things. They've watched him heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the 5,000, perform amazing miracles. But all of a sudden, Jesus is like, I got to go now. And the disciples are are confused because they're like, wait, I thought this was just the beginning. We gave up everything for you, and we're following you, and, and it's been three years. What do you mean you have to go now? And they're confused. They're uncertain. They're grieving And at the end of the day, Jesus is like, well, i got to go back to the one who sent me. And the disciples don't really get what he's saying. All they can think about is the fact that they're about to lose their best friend and their teacher. But here in John 16, Jesus reiterates what he tells his disciples two chapters earlier in John 14, that it's actually better that he go away, because only then will the advocate, the Holy Spirit, come. And then he begins to tell his disciples what to expect when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, when he comes, this is what he's going to do. And this is why the Spirit inside you is going to be better than me beside you. right?" And we're going to see three things from this text that describe the work of the Spirit. Okay, If you're taking notes, these are going to be the three points. The Holy Spirit instructs, the Holy Spirit illuminates, and the Holy Spirit intercedes. Okay, he instructs, he illuminates, and he intercedes. Okay, so first, the Holy Spirit instructs. In verse 12 to 14, Jesus says, There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. This is the same thing Jesus says in John 14, 26, when he says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus is saying, look, there's so much more I want to tell you about myself. There's so much more I have to teach you. And this time, and and in time, I will. You're not ready for it now, but in time, I will through the Holy Spirit. And what is he foreshadowing? He's foreshadowing this. He's foreshadowing this book that 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think it's so amazing That through this book, you and I have access to more knowledge about God than the disciples did. The disciples didn't know how the story was going to end. The disciples didn't quite understand the magnitude of what was happening. They didn't understand that they were being swept up into the greatest story ever told. But you and I do because we have this book. It's the Holy Spirit who not only inspired every word in scripture, but also now instructs us to understand and apply these words in every aspect of our lives. Put another way, it's the Holy Spirit who takes objective truth and makes it subjective reality. Okay, let me say that again. It's the Holy Spirit who takes objective truth and makes it a subjective reality. Let me illustrate like this. Uh, I'm a dad. I've been a dad since 2015, and that's a fact. That's objective truth. But there are moments in my life that make me feel more like a dad than others, right? When I come home from work and my kids run up to greet me and they they give me a big hug. In that moment, I'm not more a dad than I was five minutes ago, but I get the sense, I get a greater sense that I'm a dad. I'm able to experience that reality so much more deeply the day the shooting at Uvalde happened, my wife and I came home and we held our kids and we cried because in that moment we just felt all the emotions of being a parent all over again. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes these big objective truths about God that we read in scripture and he makes them a subjective reality in our lives. We've all had those moments, right? When we're reading something in scripture or we're listening to a sermon or singing a worship song. Maybe it's a song we'd sung a million times, but for some reason, that particular day, that particular circumstance or season in life, something about the words of that song just come alive for us and just hit different. Right? Many years ago, um, I attended a funeral of a young high schooler who I watched grow up in Sunday school, was one of the sweetest, Brightest kids I'd ever met, and um, you know, over time, a little bit later in life, he kind of got caught up in the wrong crowd and ended up being killed in in, in in a horrific act of gang violence. And and to this day, I still remember the song we sang at the funeral. It was the Father's Song by Matt Redman. It's a song I'd sung many times, and yet in that moment, there's this, there was this moment in the funeral w- when we're singing the words the father's song, the father's heart. You're singing it over me." And there's this moment when the father, when the dad, who just lost his son, gets up in the middle of the song and he walks up and he just lightly places his hand on his son's coffin. And that moment just broke me. And and it wasn't just because no parent should ever have to bury their kids. But for some reason, in that very moment, I started thinking about the heart of God, who, though he was the creator of the universe, was also a father. He was a father who sent his only begotten son, the son whom he loved so deeply to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I already believed this in my head, but I felt the full weight of that truth for the first time in that moment. And you could say, Jason, well, I mean, you just got caught up in the emotions. It was the song. It was the circumstance. But you see, the Holy Spirit created our emotions. The Holy Spirit created music. The Holy Spirit takes what the enemy means for evil, and he turns it for good. So why couldn't the Holy Spirit use everything he has at his disposal to guide us deeper into the truth of who God is? Of course he could. Because that's what all good teachers do. Have you ever had those moments when you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden it feels like you're not reading it anymore it's reading you? When it feels like you're looking into a mirror? A mirror that's revealing all the areas of your life that need work or revealing certain destructive patterns or habits that need to be addressed? Those moments when you're listening to a sermon and all of a sudden you feel super vulnerable and exposed. Where do you think those feelings are coming from? In verse 8, we read, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Good teachers will always confront our bad habits. Good teachers will always call out things that need to be called out. Good teachers, do not let us stay where we are They are constantly pushing us to grow and to mature, and the Holy Spirit will do just that. He will use your community to do just that. He will use a verse, a conversation, a circumstance, a mentor. He'll use everything at his disposal to instruct us and to guide us into all truth. Okay, so number one, the Holy Spirit instructs. Number two, the Holy Spirit illuminates. To illuminate something is to shine a light on it, right? And when you shine a light on something, the center of attention is not on the light source. It's on the thing that the light source is illuminating, right? The whole point of shining a light on something is to bring attention to that thing. Well, what does the Holy Spirit bring attention to? What does the Holy Spirit illuminate? And we see it in verse 14. Jesus says, he, the Holy Spirit, will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The Holy Spirit will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me, meaning this. The Holy Spirit's job is not to bring attention to himself, but to bring attention to Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to shine a light on Jesus, to tell us, look at Jesus. J.I. Packer calls the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. And it's not because the Holy Spirit is timid, it's not because he's a pushover, it's because the Holy Spirit is always deflecting attention away from himself to others, okay? It's kind of like the bassist in a band, okay? Um, If you, uh, you know, most non-musicians have no idea what a bassist does and how a bassist functions in the context of the band. They all think the bassist is just playing a big guitar, okay? And, um... You know, our bassist today is going to feel really self-conscious when he comes up for the final song. Sorry. Um, Okay. Uh, Yet I would argue, personally, that in the context of a band, the bassist might be the most crucial person because the bassist's job is to make everyone else sound better. We all hear the drums. We all hear the vocals. We all hear the electric guitar. But when you hear all these come together and it sounds good, more often than not, it's because of the bass. The bass is like the glue that ties everything together, and you will absolutely notice when the bassist is missing. You may not hear it, but you will feel it. And the best bassists understand that their role is not to draw attention to themselves, but to support the other instruments and let the other instruments shine. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He says, don't look at me. I'm here to make Jesus look good. I'm here to make Jesus look amazing. Look at him. Look at how beautiful and glorious and awesome Jesus is. And in this sense, we know that the Holy Spirit is most present not when there are lots of butts in the seats, not when people are jumping up and down, but when Jesus Christ is at the front and center. If you want to know if the Holy Spirit is present at work at Citizens, ask yourself, is Jesus Christ at the front and center? Is Jesus Christ exalted in everything we do? If you want to know if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you don't have to wait for a feeling or an audible voice or a tingle. You just have to ask yourself, are my eyes fixed on Jesus? Is Jesus at the center of everything I do? Is Jesus at the center of every decision I make? Because the Holy Spirit is always illuminating Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always placing the attention to Jesus. In fact, this is true of every member of the Trinity, right? Contrary to popular belief, some people think God is this narcissistic God who all he wants to do is is get worship from people. No, no, no. God is not a narcissistic God because God reveals himself through the Trinity who all they do is defer glory to each other. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. The Son gives it right back to the Spirit saying, no, the Holy Spirit is better than me. You're, you're, you're in for a treat. Right? And then all of a sudden the father jumps in and looks at the son and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus you know, takes it back to the father and he's like, father glorify me that the son may glorify you. And it's this triune love fest in the Trinity that's been going on since the very beginning. You ever meet those um, like annoying couples who make you really angry because they never fight and they love each other so much? It's like, you know, they, like, comment on each other's Instagram posts when they're, like, sitting right next to each other, you know? And it's like, you know, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, you are. No, you—it's like, we get it, okay? Like, you love each other so much. Okay, just, just wait till you have kids, all right? Um, but, but, but this is the kind of love we see in the Godhead. The Father, Son, and Spirit constantly deferring attention and love to one another. They're like, you're the best. No, you are. No, you are. No, you are. Always illuminating each other. And why does this matter for us? It matters because if the Holy Spirit's role is to always draw attention to Jesus, if the Holy Spirit's orientation is always other-focused and that same Spirit lives in you and me, then that means that our lives must always draw attention to Jesus. That means our lives must always be oriented toward others. And the big question for all of us today is when people look at you, what do they see? Do they see someone who is completely self-absorbed, who's only focused on furthering their career, their family, their goals, or do they see Jesus? Do they see someone who is other focused, someone who's always celebrating and honoring other people rather than constantly criticizing and tearing people down? Do they see someone who cares more about being right than about being loving? Do they see someone who views their time, money, and resources not as something to hoard for themselves, but something to be employed in the service of others? Do they see someone who sacrifices their needs, preferences, comfort, their pride in order to uplift others? Do they see someone who models the self-emptying love of Christ? The forgiveness of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the generosity of Christ, because this is what the Holy Spirit in us should do. Okay, so number one, the Holy Spirit instructs. Number two, the Holy Spirit illuminates. And finally, the Holy Spirit instructs intercedes. In verse 7, Jesus uses a very specific word to refer to the Holy Spirit. He calls him the advocate, okay, which comes from the Greek word paraclete. In other translations, you'll see that word translated as comforter, sometimes translated as counselor. And whenever you have multiple translations of the same word, it usually means that there's no sufficient word in the English language to capture the full magnitude of a word. So it usually means all of the above and then some. Okay, and a lot of commentators have debated kind of what this word means, trying to find the, the essence of this word. But most of them believe that the best way to understand this word, pericle, translated advocate, is someone who's like a legal advocate okay someone who's like a defense attorney in a court of law someone who pleads your case someone who speaks up for you someone who intercedes on your behalf someone who's on your team okay now what's very interesting is that two chapters before this jesus again uses the word paraclete to describe the holy spirit but there he specifically says the father will send another advocate another paraclete he uses the word another as if to imply there's more than one as if to imply that there was an advocate before the holy spirit and the word another translated from a is translated from a greek word that means of the same kind so what jesus is saying is that the holy spirit is an advocate of the same kind as another advocate and in this subtle way jesus is referring to himself In 1 John 2, 1, we read, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Romans 8, 34 says, who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us jesus our first advocate is at this very moment pleading with the father on our behalf you see every day you and i we mess up we hurt the people we love we turn a blind eye to those in need we chase after false idols every day we fall miserably short of being the spouse we were called to be the parent we were called to be, the brothers, the sister, the friend we're called to be. And every day the enemy shows up and tries to make a case against us. Got to imagine kind of like a courtroom in heaven where the enemy stands up and pulls out a laundry list of our failures. And he lays them out before you and before God. And he says, look at what this person has done. They should be condemned. They're not worthy to stand in your presence. But you see, in that moment, Jesus, our first advocate, our first paraclete, stands up and intercedes for us. He pleads with the Father on our behalf, and he says, Father, you are just, and you cannot punish people for the sins that I've already paid for with my blood. And he says, look at the scars in my hand, and look at the scars in my feet. And the Father's like, you're right. These accusations carry no more weight in my courtroom. And he looks at us, and he doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our mistakes. He sees only the perfect righteousness of his son, and he treats us as if we had never sinned. He doesn't see us as his enemies, but in Christ, he sees us as his beloved children. What an amazing truth. Well, if Jesus is our first advocate, and he's pleading with the Father on our behalf, then who is the Holy Spirit, our second advocate, pleading with? Because he must be pleading with someone as well. The Holy Spirit is pleading with us. He's pleading with us to remember what the first advocate is doing. He's pleading with us to remember who we are in Christ. He's pleading with us to look at Jesus. You know, in the seventh grade, um, for some reason, I was part of our school's track and field team, okay? Um, running was definitely not my forte, still, not, it still is not my forte, okay? And I was uh, definitely the slowest person on our team. And for some reason, the coach had me running the 800 meters and the 1,600 meter, okay, which are like like longer distance. And when you're the slowest person on the team, when you're the slowest person in a 100 meter or 200 meter dash, it's okay, because the race is over quickly. Okay, so the embarrassment doesn't last long. If you're the slowest person on the team, and you're running the 800 meters, or you're running a mile, it's really embarrassing, because you're last place for a long period of time. Okay, and people are watching you be last place for several minutes. Um, and I still remember, like, we had like a county track meet, and I was running in the 1600 meters. I uh, didn't even tell my parents about it, because I was ashamed. And as expected, we're running, and I'm in last place. Okay? Uh, I was actually so far behind the group that when I started my final lap, I looked back, and they were already prepping the next race. Um, And so I started my final lap, and I was like, just keep your head down, and just don't say anything. It was humiliating, okay? The stands were filled, and so I knew that they were just watching me take my lap of shame around the track. And um, as I'm coming around the final turn, out of nowhere, I hear my coach's voice, and he's screaming at me. And he's like, Jason, pick your head up. And I acted like I didn't listen because I was just too embarrassed. And I'm just trying to get through the race and I hear his voice again. He's like, pick your head up. And he's screaming it at me. And so I pick my head up and I never forget what I saw. I pick my head up expecting to see my coach. I couldn't see him anywhere. But I pick my head up just in time to see my dad behind the fence and he's beaming, and he gives me a thumbs up. I was in last place, and he gives me a thumbs up. And at that point, it didn't matter if I won the race or not, because in that moment, I knew that my dad was proud of me. I knew that I was loved. I knew that win or lose, it didn't change my standing with him. At Jesus' baptism, before he ever did anything, before he showed the world he was Jesus, the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and he picked his head up, and he heard a voice from heaven say, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. It was the Father saying, I love you. I'm proud of you. The Holy Spirit is like our coach who pleads with us every day to look up, to see the love the Father has for us in Christ. He is our earthly advocate pointing us to our heavenly advocate, Jesus Christ, who through His perfect life and sacrificial death brings us into God's family. Romans eight fourteen to 16 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Every day the Holy Spirit is testifying with our spirit. Every day He's pleading with us to remember that we belong to God. Every day He's, remember, he's telling us, remember that God is Abba, Father, and nothing can separate you from His love. You know, I used to think that the Holy Spirit's job was to make me love God more. In the churches I grew up in, they said, just pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to help you sin less and to love God more. How wrong I was. The Holy Spirit's job is not to make us love God more. The Holy Spirit's job is to show us how loved we are. The Holy Spirit's job is to show us how much God loves us. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the incomprehensible love of Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to yell, pick your head up. What are you doing? Why are you so downcast? Why are you living like that? Don't you know who you are? Don't you know you have everything you could ask or imagine in me? Don't you know how proud I am of you? The Holy Spirit's job is to put the Father's song on our hearts and play it on repeat over and over and over again, every moment of every day, that this is my beloved Son, that this is my beloved Daughter, With whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to your work? God, I know that every word that was just preached is meaningless unless you take it and you plant it deep within our souls and bring us and open our eyes to the transforming reality of who you are. I pray for my friends in this room who today are sitting here and they are discouraged, who feel condemned, either by themselves or others, who feel like they're not measuring up, who feel like they're just not meeting the expectations they've set for themselves or those in their lives have set for them. I pray in this moment that you would yell, pick your head up. And I pray that every person in this room would lift their heads and see the Father's face beaming saying, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. God, remind us of your love. Show us that in Jesus, we're accepted, we're validated, we're vindicated. Thank you for this word. Would you use it to continue to place Jesus front and center in our lives, that Jesus would become, um, Jesus would take center stage and that our eyes would stay focused on him. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.